0: For those of you that were here, last week we launched this new series, and uh, i all have to confess, I was involved, I was kind of the primary driver of the programming. It maybe wasn't super well thought out because we had a parent-child dedication weekend, which was really, really warm and warm moment, and then I followed that with a sermon that some are affection, affectionately now calling the concubine and the chainsaw message. So if you weren't here, I recommend you go back and, and listen to that, all right? Go back and catch up. Uh, but before warned, before warned that I focused, I focused on one of the darkest stories and texts in both the Old and the New Testament, just a story in history, uh, just one of the darkest stories that is recorded. And the reason it's so dark is because it gives us a glimpse of something played out to its ultimate end. And the thing that is a bit scary, as we looked at last week and as we're looking at in this series, what's a bit scary is the same element that was a part of that story is essentially part of the American dream. It's the part of the American dream that that goes like this. I want to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. And no one can tell me that I can't. But in our civilized Western mindset, we add, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. And no matter where you land, when it, where it comes to faith or skepticism or God or with Jesus, any of that, here's something we all know to be true of us. We don't like being told what to do. I mean, like very early on, what, like one of the first words that we learn is no, right? You know, Some of you, you're raising these coronials, and it's like their first word, no, because as humans, we just don't like to be told what to do, but especially as American humans. But as we saw last, discovered last week, when we do what we want, when we want, with whom we want, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, that's impossible. It's just not possible. Eventually, you will hurt someone because eventually, unavoidably, you will hurt you. And eventually, you hurt the people with you, you hurt the people around you, and you hurt the people that love you. Because at the very least, you can't hurt you without hurting the people. Who love you the most and care about you the most. And if we choose to live this way, eventually we hurt the people coming after us. The next generation, which is why what we're talking about is so important. Because as we've said, the biggest thing at stake for us figuring this out is the next generation. And, and many of you, you're kind of a glimpse, you're kind of proof of that. Because as we said last week, some of you know you're 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 a little odd, okay? You're a little bit broken, all right? Maybe a little dysfunctional. Maybe a lot dysfunctional. I mean, you're a little off balance. And as you look back on your life, as you look back on your relationships, you're, sometimes you recognize that you are repeatedly your own worst enemy when it comes to relationships and jobs. And when someone confronts you about the, these patterns or this tendency to do this or do that, many of you internally or you out loud, or out loud you, you point to your parents, you know, to your family of origin. Like when you trace the problem and the struggle back and this tendency of how I respond or how I interact with others, that uh, when I look back, honestly, it's my parents' fault because they decided to do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it with who they wanted to do it, and they didn't really factor you into some of those decisions, and they didn't really reflect on or take seriously enough the impact that it would ultimately have on you because maybe they just felt that, they could control outcomes, or they said, hey, children are resilient, which was just a way for them to justify themselves, or they were just simply blind to anything or anyone beyond what or who they wanted, when they wanted it, and even though they didn't mean to, they hurt you. And odds are, something similar happened to them growing up, and they blamed their mom and dad, your grandpa or your grandparents, and, 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 and yet even though they didn't intend to, they passed it on. And now it's your turn to determine and decide whether or not you're going to pass on the same kind of hurt this, to the next generation. Or maybe you're in your late 40s or your late 50s, your late 60s, and you've already passed some hurts and regrets on or hurts and patterns on, and, and you have regret and you're not really sure what to do with that. But you're, you're not alone. You're just not alone. Now driving our conversation is the, a book in the Old Testament. It's called the book of Judges, uh, which is this piece of ancient Israelite history, which, which takes place between the time that they get into what's referred to as the promised land and when they had their first king established, King Saul. So there's this 330 year period. Many of you, you know, some Old Testament Bible history. Moses got them out of Egypt. He gets them right to the edge, uh, to edge of the promised land. Then he dies. Then Joshua takes them in. He gets them settled in the land. And while Joshua was alive, uh, things went well. Because even though he wasn't a king, he was a a visible, established leader of the people. And the people had a law. And the way the things that were supposed to work was God gave the law, God is king, and they were to be a nation of law without a human king. And this was unheard of in ancient history. And as far as I can tell, it wasn't tried again until thousands of years later in what would ultimately be the 13 colonies that would become the United States of america so joshua got them all set up and then he died and then they entered this period of the judges and for the next 330 years and it was just kind of a disaster they, they would just go through this cycle like this they would disobey god there would be a disaster they would cry out for help and god would deliver them and they go wow we are never doing that again and to be honest it sounds a little uncomfortably familiar okay especially in our teens and our 20s, I mean, like us, they disobey God, they disobey, there would be a disaster, they'd cry out for help, they'd be delivered, and this went on and on, and at the very end of the book, which is where we started last week, the final statement of the book is this, in those days, there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and it became a culture of, I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with who I want to do it, and in that culture, as we saw last week, but they didn't really care who they hurt. You know, but for us, because we're more civilized, uh, it's still the same idea, and it was a total disaster. So that's where we began last week. So again, you know, concubine the chainsaw, book of Judges ends like Halloween one meets deliverance. It's just, it's just this awful, horrific, cesspool of time in history, and there's no hero, there's no redemption, there's nothing good that comes out of it. Now today, we're going back to the beginning of the book, which is a huge contrast, because the end of the book of Judges is kind of like the last night of church camp, okay? So I'm curious, how many of you growing up, you went to church camp at least once in your life growing up? All right, all right, so all right, about a third of you or so. Okay, so well, if you didn't grow up going to church camp and you think Christians are, are a little weird, this is just going to solidify that, all right? But for those of you that grew up going to church camp, you all, had some, you all have something in common. For those of you that grew up going to church camp, on the last night of church camp, what do all the girls do? Cry. Yes, they all cry. It just happens. Like, like, why are you crying? I don't know. They're crying, so I'm going to cry. So everybody cries. Okay, I, I've seen this. I've been the dean of senior high camps, uh, so I've witnessed this. And Now, the last night of church camp is an important night, is, uh, and I'm not belittling or making fun of it. It is a big deal, Because they've been there all week, they've had devoted adults or young adults have been pouring into them and just investing in them and teaching them scriptures, singing worship songs, connecting with the students, and it's all kind of building to this apex, and it's very emotional, and they're thinking about all these changes that they want to make in their life, so what happens is, on the last night... Uh, of camp. Everybody, you know, usually around a campfire or something or after a really emotional song, like they they make all these commitments. They decide, I'm going to go home. I'm going to break up with my boyfriend. I'm going to break up with my girlfriend. They're going to patch things up with their parents. They're not going to smoke anything anymore. They're not going to drink anymore. They're going to quit hanging out with the wrong kinds of people. They're going to quit sleeping around. They're not going to sneak out at night. They're going to quit cheating at school. They're going to quit lying. They're basically just going to quit their whole life, okay? And and again, I've I've witnessed this, and it's sincere. And uh, these are important commitments, and they were the right commitments. And and it's a big Kleenex fest, and it's this very, very good thing. And the book of Judges begins like that. It's like the last night of camp. They've had this epic 40-year journey. They've seen and experienced a lot together. The previous generation has actually all died off. So this is actually the next generation's opportunity to just really shine. Joshua is about to die. He gathers the nation. He's about to leave them. So again, last night of camp, they're on their own. Uh, he gives this big speech, and here's just sort of a snapshot. He says, now, fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So, so this was basically code for, hey, go, this is your chance to turn things around. After all you've experienced with God and with one another, it's time for you to go home and break up with your boyfriend or break up with your girlfriend. You know, get rid of your cigarettes, your, your hidden stash, you know, all the things that are just you know, polluting your life. And so he, he does this big, long speech, and then the people respond... The people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Like, don't you worry about us, Josh. Like, we, we've got this. When you're gone, we're going to remain faithful. It was the Lord God, a Lord our God himself, who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed these great signs before our eyes. Actually, they've been told this it had been passed on to them. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. So everything they said was true. This was the right answer. So they say, listen, Josh, you don't have to worry about this. We've got this. We remember the stories our parents and our grandparents shared with us and told us what it was like to be a slave nation under an Egyptian pharaoh. In this brutal, unforgiving authority, we will never go back to serving foreign leaders or foreign gods. And if you read the text, Joshua actually kind of goads them. He kind of pokes at them a bit. He goes, uh, "Yeah, right. You won't. Yeah, like like I bet you will. I bet you will go back to these things." And they're like, "Oh no, we won't." And I'm like, "I think you will. You say you won't, but you will. You think you're not going to go back to those ways? I, you think it's going to be easy?" You think you remember all the pain and the sorrow that came from compromising and rejecting God's word. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's like, all right then, I've warned you, and then he dies. And the followers on Joshua's tomb hadn't even died yet. When the scripture tells us, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. I mean, they hadn't even hardly changed their clothes from Joshua's funeral. And the next thing you know, they're doing exactly the thing that Joshua warned them not to do, the exact same thing that they swore that they wouldn't do. So they get home from camp and go right back to all the stuff that they said that they had done before and weren't going to do anymore. The text says, they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped the various gods of the people around them. So in other words, they started looking around at the nations and the cultures around them and how they lived, and, and they began looking at what they got to do, what they got to experience, and they kind of came to the conclusion, I think our God's holding out on us. I think He's holding out. I mean, we want some of that. We want to live like that. Everyone is doing it. I mean, this is kind of how it works in the land of Canaan. We don't want to be the oddballs. We don't want to be so strange. We want to be, don't want to be differentiated, so differentiated from the nations around us. So they abandoned the invisible king, they abandoned the law of their God, and they just immersed themselves in the culture of the Canaanites right after Joshua warned them, and they swore they would never, ever do it. The text continues, they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. Now, the Ashtoreth was basically the female counterpart to Baal, uh, so this, and The problem with serving and following and worshiping Baal wasn't just that he was a made-up God represented by idols. It was everything that went along with serving this male and this female deity. For one thing, when things got desperate, they sacrificed not animals, they sacrificed people. And when things got really desperate, the Canaanites would sacrifice children to Baal. In fact, three years ago, Shauna and I actually visited one of the sites where uh, this kind of human sacrifice took place. And uh, it was very unsettling to physically be in a place like this where this had taken place over and over and over again where men, women, and children would be thrown into the abyss of this cave down in. And uh, if they disappeared in the waters far below, then that, means, that meant that the gods had accepted their sacrifice. But if they saw blood in some of the nearby streams, uh, the springs coming out, then they would go, okay, the gods have rejected our offering. They would go get some other people to throw in and sacrifice. And so uh, the, this was just common. And, and when things got really bad and when there wasn't any rain or there was famine for the Canaanites and they just felt overwhelmed by the enemies at their borders, they would sacrifice multiple children. In fact, there's a period in history where uh, they uh, required the richest people to sacrifice their firstborn children children, because this is how we're going to get the God's attention. And so God said and us in our Western mindset, well, of course, what God would say, you can't be a part of any of that. But the next thing you know, the people of Israel, they've just dipped into this horrible, horrible lifestyle. So in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. So basically, God was like, okay, you like the Canaanites so much? Fine. Why stop there? How about I just go ahead and let you be conquered by the very people that you copied? How about I let you be conquered by the very culture you've copied? you have copied? You abandoned me freely. You freely embraced their ways. So now, go ahead and have a taste of losing the very thing that you were so proud of, and that was most important to you. Your freedom. Your freedom to choose. You've willingly disobeyed and walked away from God to embrace the culture of the Canaanites. If you like it so much, have it all. And the next thing you know, they weren't conquering the nations around them. They were conquered by the nations around them. And here's the point of today's message. Here's the thing that we never see coming before it's too late. When we decide to do what we want, when we want, with whom we want, and then we do it, before long, and it's too late by the time we see it, what we experience is, well, now I'm doing it, but now I don't like it. Now I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like where this has led to. Now I, 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 I don't want to do this anymore, but damage has been done. Worse than that, worse than that, I can't reverse it. In fact, worse than that, I can't seem to, I can't seem to quit. So Israel... Israel just simply traded one king for another. They, they willingly, willingly walked away from God. But you, as we said here, you can't walk away from one thing without walking towards something else. And they ended up in a place where they lost the very thing that meant the most to them. Their freedom to choose. And now they could no longer freely choose. Now there's such a huge lesson for, for all of us in this. All of us. All of us have our own story. For many of us, uh, we were, you grew up Christian, you grew up in a Christian home, you grew up in church, you heard all this stuff, you heard what Jesus taught, you knew right from wrong, uh, even your conscience was kind of tuned into the teachings of Scripture. You'd have said, I, I feel like I have clarity around what God wants for me or doesn't want for me. You even memorized some verses as a kid, but then at some point, at some point you just decided, you know what, I, I just feel like God's kind of holding out on me. I'm kind of tired of being good. I'm kind of tired of being Christian and the outsider and the, the church person. I'm, I'm tired of whatever it is that's holding me back from doing what I want, when I want, with who I want. And so, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do it. Or you, you know, or you didn't make a decision. Maybe it was just a slow and gradual thing, but at some point along the way, you just, you walked away. Or maybe it wasn't so overt. Maybe you weren't even Christian. Maybe you just kind of grew up in a home where you were taught right and wrong and your conscience was just kind of tuned into American or religious values, moral values. I, I don't know how you'd describe it, but somewhere along the way, you just decided, you know what? I'm, it's my life. I don't want anyone telling me what to do or not do. I'm not interested anymore in an, in an invisible God who doesn't seem to be on my side anyways. And you, or you, then one day you woke up and you realized, oh no, I, I didn't gain my freedom. I didn't gain more freedom in my insistence to freely express my freedom. It actually resulted in my, in my loss of freedom. And without meaning to, I, we just traded one God for another. And, and this is why we're talking about this. See, you and I are created, you, which means there's a creator which meant, means that you and I weren't created to be our own king. And, and the part, especially as Americans, that we find so offensive is that just as you and I were created, we were created to be ruled over. Which means that when we say no to one king, we just always choose another king. There's no such thing as absolute and total autonomy. It's not, tr- it's not real. I know we want it. I mean, it's part of, again, part of the American dream, but until you can control your own birth and predict exactly when and how you're going to naturally die, you cannot be completely autonomous. And even if you could, you would like you. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce. It's not about divorce. It's about hell. And in the book, C.S. Lewis describes how he imagines hell. He says, here's, here's my vision or version of hell when I think about it. And, in hell, everyone can get what they want simply by thinking about, of it. And in hell, no one can get along. In hell, no one chooses to live anywhere close to one, uh, one another. They, they got what they wanted. They got total autonomy. And no one can get along. See, you, you were created to be ruled. And when you say no to the Creator King... You simply choose a different king. That's all. Now, for example, and some of you understand, understand this, the, the king of appetite. One day you, you, you choose appetite over God. Whatever the appetite was for. I've got, I'm tired of saying no. I'm tired of wrestling with this. I'm tired of resisting temptation. I'm tired of feeling like a failure. And, and, and so I'm just going to give in to this appetite. And, and then a few weeks down the road or a few months, a few years later, all of a sudden you realize, I can't say no anymore to the king of appetite. And now you're ruled by your appetite. You think how, and you look back, and so many of us, we do this, we look back and go, what was I thinking? How could I have been so stupid? I just traded one king for another. Or maybe the problem is you, you want to be, be Christian, but in the place where you work or where you play or live, you know, being a Christian, it's just kind of weird. And it plays to your insecurities, and you don't want to be an outsider. You want to feel like one of the guys. You want to feel like one of the girls. And, but, but people know you're different. And so they don't really include you. They don't invite you to stuff. Or they kind of stop talking suddenly when you're walking by. And it kind of plays to your insecurity. So you decide, you know what, I'm, I'm just tired of this. I'm tired of being an outsider. So I'm going to quit playing this game of Christianity. I'm just going to do what I want when I want. I want to be part of this group. And suddenly the king of insecurity is in charge. See, the kings, these small-k kings of fear, comparison, being ruled by comparison, lust, greed. They begin ruling over you. Let's talk about family history. Some of you, your number one goal in life is to not be like your dad. Or your number one goal in life is to not be like your mom. Or either of your parents, you say, my family will not be like my family of origin. History is not going to repeat itself. But what you need to know is when a man or a woman intentionally or accidentally turns their back on the Creator. God, whether you want to or not, your family history will repeat itself. It just will. See, you were not made to be controlled, but you were made to be ruled. And your best bet for breaking the chain of your family history that you want to break free from and not repeat isn't doing what you want, when you want, how you want to do it. That's how the problems began from the very problems that you want to break free from and not repeat in your generation or the next generation. If you're someone, say, like, I never want to be like my dad or never be like my mom. I want my family to be different. And my, foreign, uh, my family of origin, if I were to ask you, well, why is that? Well, odds are, if you tell me the story, part of what gonna, you're going to tell me about that previous generation is that someone did what they wanted, when they wanted, with whom they wanted. And if you go the same route, then you will unintentionally repeat the same thing. So if there's a God who loves you, if there's a God who understands the power that forgiveness has to break the chain of the past, if there's a God who who wants something better for you, to, if it, better for you, if there's a God who goes, hey, I want your generation, I want the next generation, your kids, your grandkids to experience something completely different, then why, why wouldn't you say yes to the Creator King? Because if not, I'm just telling you, history will repeat itself because you can't, you just simply surrender to another King. And you know how it starts. You know how the kings, the little kings get us involved. They, they tempt us with the idea of, hey, somebody's telling you what to do. Just say no. Just say, it's my life. You know, be your own man. Be your own woman. You know, I can control outcomes. I'm master of my own destiny. I, I, I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to be morally pure. I'm not going to tell the truth. I'm, I, I'm not going to live on a budget. I'm not going to do what you say. It's, it's my life. And little kings go, yeah, that's right. Just just keep repeating it. That's our mantra. It's our marching orders. Don't let anyone else tell you what to do or not do, which works out until it doesn't. And then you wake up and you find yourself going, oh no, I can't stop. I can't get away. I can't go back. I can't I feel like I can't change. I want to change, but I can't change. I want to go back to the way things were, to the days where I had a clear conscience. I want to go back to when people, they may have thought I was a little weird or not liked me, but I liked me. I want to go back to the days where I was connected in a healthy community, surrounded by people that were going in the direction that I always wanted to go, but now I'm not sure how I get back to that. Because the little kings, the kings of lust and greed and comparison and insecurity and fear... So important. The little kings do not love you. They do not have your best interest in mind. And in fact, here's an important question whether you're a sold out Jesus follower or you're just still a skeptic and unsure, why is it always easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the kings you substitute for God? I mean, think about this. Why is it always easier to say, God, God, I know what you want. I know you want me to wait, but I'm done waiting. You said you want me to do this or that, but God, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it anymore. God, I know you want me to stay, but God, I'm leaving. I'm just, I'm, I've had it with her. I'm not going to forgive him. God, look, I, I know this is what you say, and this is what you want Like when it comes to, comes to sex, but I'm a senior in high school. I'm a college freshman. I'm finally away from home. You know, So if you just shut your eyes for a few months, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. And in about nine months, I'll be back. Why is it always easier to say no to God than the kings that we substitute for God? God, I know, know, you know, it's just it's not just operating in the gray. It's operating. It's crossing the line. I know that she's not good for me. He's not good for me. I know I have no business sending her, sending him these texts that I would never want my significant other to find out about. Why is it always so much easier to say no to God on the front end than it is to say no to these little G gods now that you're in the situation? And they're in the driver's seat. Why is it more difficult to say no to the created thing than the creator king? Whereas on the front end, it was just, God, I'm just tired of struggling with this. Everyone needs a break. Everyone needs a guilty pleasure. Everybody needs a thing. So God, I, I know what you think. I know what my conscience says. is telling me. But I know the way I was raised. But you know what? It's, it's my life. And I've got to have a little something in my life. And this is what I'm going to do. And, and now you'd like to say no to this thing. And you can't at least not for good. I mean, you do good for a while, and you say no for a while, but eventually you say yes again, and it's become an addiction, and the things become to control you, and it's wrecking you, wrecking you emotionally, mentally, maybe financially. Why is it so much more difficult to say no to that than the Creator King? And here's why. Because the substitute kings are not merciful. Unlike the Creator God, they're not merciful. The substitute kings do not love you. The substitute kings will control you. And the substitute kings will always take away your freedom. This is a lesson we all learn, the hard way or the easy way. Maximum freedom is found. And this is something that I personally, especially with my temperament, my personality, I've had to experience this again and again and again in my life, sometimes painfully so. Maximum freedom is found under under the canopy of God's authority every single time. Maximum freedom is never found serving the little kings because the little kings will give you what you want now, but God will give you what you want most. Always. But there is something about us that we want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, and we convince ourselves that we can control the outcomes. That's why it's always easier to say no to God than it is to the substitute kings Now, this sort of first round of what Israel experienced with God, here's how it ends. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of, and i got to say this slow so I get it right, Cushon Rishathaim, king of Aram, Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight long years. It's like God said, okay, you like the Canaanites? Fine, have a Canaanite king. At least you could pronounce my name. And for eight long years, they suffered under the rulership of a king and a culture who they had adopted and embraced and whose gods they had chosen to worship. And then at the end of eight years, they did what some of us have done, some of you have done, what some of you are about to do or need to do. They just finally threw up their hands and said, God, I have sinned. We went went for the very thing you warned us against. Oh God, we thought we were expressing our independence in such a way that somehow we would gain more freedom. But we realize now that in trying to live out our independence and our autonomy, we did not gain freedom. We gave it away. We've been conquered by the very thing that we copied. Oh God, deliver us. Please help us. And God said, too bad, so sad, I told you. No. That's not what he said. He said, I will help you. I will help you. I will intervene because you are still my people. And one of the amazing things about the Christian faith that's illustrated throughout history in the nation of Israel is that, number one, God is a merciful God. I'd like to invite the band to come on up. God is a merciful God. He is so merciful merciful that He will not force His way on you and me. God does not force His way on you and I. Instead, He gives us the freedom to choose. You know why? Because God does not want to control you. If God wanted to control you, He would have created you and I to be controlled. He would have created us as controlled. Instead, God has given you and I the freedom to go when we want to go and to express unconditional love and grace and mercy in order to receive us back when we finally come to the realization and are willing to acknowledge the substitute kings are not merciful. They do not love me. They will control me, and they will take away my freedom, and I don't want it taken away anymore. But God is there. He's always there, ready to receive you back whenever you come to that realization and call out to him for help, which is what he did for Israel again and again and again as an example for us to witness He'll take you back over and over just because, but, but just because, and this is so important, He will take you back, doesn't mean He gives you a full reset. What I mean is, while nothing gives me more joy as, as a pastor and us no more joy as a community than to celebrate the return of someone who's decided I'm done serving little kings, the tragedy is you can't get your 20s back. You can't get your 30s or your 40s back. And you can't reparent your children. And you can't show up for the things that you should have shown up for. And you can't have that first marriage again. There are years and those experiences and some relationships that once they're gone, they're gone. Wasted. Chasing after and serving the little kings. Who care nothing about you. Nothing about your future. Nothing about the people you care about. And nothing for the next generation. So, the bottom line is this as we set ourselves up for next week, and in our attempt to do what we want, when we want, with who we want, make no mistake, all we do is trade one king for another. Whenever you just push forward with what you want and put God in the rearview mirror, just understand you've not chosen independence, you've just simply chosen another king. One of the lines from the song the band is about to sing uh, is this No failure. No mistake, no loneliness or pain could ever separate us from God's love. And I'm so glad that Zan and the team chose us because it's just, it's a reminder. It's a reflection because especially when we get off, we just get off track. And we get into a situation now. Then there's a part of us that feel like, God, I was doing so good and now I've failed again. And it's like you almost feel like you can't even go back to pray to him because you're just embarrassed. Like, how can he take me back? And this is just a reminder. It's like, God's not going anywhere. We may choose to run off for a while, but God is always there ready to receive us back. Like the prodigal son's father with arms wide open. So I've asked them to sing this. God, I just thank you so much for the documents that we do have that just tell this big, epic story that we are a part of, that we've been invited into. But I am so thankful for the reminders, the, the literal reminders of how gracious you are, how forgiving you are, and how ready you are to receive us. God, I pray for every one of us, this all lands somewhere, whether we've been a devoted follower for decades, we're still checking this out, trying to understand how you and Jesus, all this plays into. I pray that everyone that has heard this, including myself, Help us to know very clearly what that next step is for us to be able to, to break free from the little G gods and even subtly honestly we've been giving our devotion to them and honestly it's it's hurting us it's hurting our relationships so i pray that you would give us the clarity and the strength to do that to break free and that as jesus said that there's so much that, honestly, we can't do on our own, but he promised to help her, what he referred to as the Holy Spirit. And that through that partnership, that you would help us to break free and to embrace what we should embrace to be fully toward, toward, turned towards you. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.